encouragement today. And one of the lines in that song was, if you ever feel discouraged, um, that you have that balm in Gilead you can look to. Um, so I thought, wow, that's, that's fun how the Lord puts that together. So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 30. Um, it's interesting. Uh, the Bible talks about David and his crew. They, they got to be so discouraged that they began weeping until they had no more power to weep. It's interesting. Um, so you see somebody crying and you're like, oh good, you stopped crying. Things must be better. And how, and how sad would it be to find out, no, the only reason I stopped crying is because I have no more tears to weep and no more power to weep. I'm that discouraged. Here in, in, in 1 Samuel 30, uh, David and his men got to the point where they stopped weeping because they didn't have any power left to cry. That seems like they're awfully discouraged. And as the lady's saying, there is a, there's a place where you can go for balm. There's a place where you can go for healing. And David went there. Uh, we're going to look at that today. Uh, discouragement and the road to recovery. Discouragement and the road to recovery. So here we are in 1 Samuel 30. Let's start with verses 1 through uh, 4. Uh, we'll, we'll go into some of these and, and make some comments and then jump into these uh, uh, ideas. So 1 Samuel 30, 1 through 4. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day. So Ziklag was where they were living. It was a town in the land of the Philistines. Achish, the, the ruler of Philistia, had given David uh, Ziklag for he and his men to live there. David was in one of the trickiest spots of his life. He, he was, uh, his group of men, um, they were misfits. So he's got this group that he's holding together, um, and they're running from Saul, the king of Israel, while trying to protect Israel as much as they can, while pretending to be on the side of Philistia, and hoping that uh, you know, pretending to be willing to help Philistia go against whomever, including Israel, while trying to protect Israel, it was quite the mess he found himself in. So it came to pass that the Amalekites, so another enemy, had invaded the south. So let's talk about the Amalekites for just a moment. They were a, a mean, hostile, cruel, godless people. Uh, back uh, in chapter 15 of this book, Saul had been told to wipe them out. Deuteronomy uh, chapter 25, 17 through 19, way back in Deuteronomy said this about the Amalekites. God said, remember what Amalek did to thee by the way when you were come forth out of Egypt, how that he met thee by the way and smote the hindmost of thee even all that were feeble uh, behind thee when thou wast faint and weary. It was just this mean, cruel, godless people that uh, would, 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 as Israel was traveling up from Egypt, they would swoop down and, and, and attack and hurt and maim and kill the, the weak and the feeble among the Israelites. It was just a cruel people. 
Well, these Amalekites had come in and, uh, um, and they had smitten Ziklag while David and the men were away. Um, it says this about Amalek, uh, Am- the Amalekites, and he feared not God. So we're still back in Deuteronomy 25. Therefore it shall be, when the Lord thy God hath given thee rest from all thy enemies round about in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it, that thou shalt blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Thou shalt not forget it. So there was this cruel people that had, that, that had set themselves against the things of God and, and their cup of iniquity had gotten so full that God says, it's time. I've given them enough space to repent. It's time to wipe them out. Well, this is the enemy that had come. Uh, so there, uh, and Ziklag, so we're back in 1 Samuel 30. And smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire. So while David and his men were away, the Amalekites had come in and burned the city down. And not only that, but verse 2, and had taken captive the women, taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any. So they took all the women. Was this mercy on their side that they didn't kill any of the women? I don't think so. I don't think it was mercy at all. I think they were going to take them and use them, abuse them, uh, get some profit from them. Um, uh, Mostly, they didn't kill them because God and his providence, the Amalekites thought they were in charge, but but God says, I'll I'll let them do this, but I I don't want the women harmed. So the Amalekites thought they chose that, but God decided the women wouldn't be harmed. Either great or small, but carried them away and went on their way. Uh, the enemy never plays fair, just like the devil. Don't go through this life making deals with the devil, deals with the enemy. They, they don't honor anything. Verse 3, so David and his men, so that David doesn't know. They're coming back to Ziklag, and he doesn't know. Uh, they're, they're thinking, yes, oh, it'll be so good to be home see our wives, see our children, sleep on our own beds, enjoy home for a little bit. They're heading that way. And can you just sense the, the sinking feeling as, as they're looking and maybe they see the smoke coming from the city from a distance? Oh, no. Can, can, you, can you sense the heartache that, and the worry as they're like, David, we have to quicken our pace. Something's not right. Behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Oh, I can't even begin to imagine the pain. It was supposed to be a joyful scene, but instead heart-sickening horror. The buildings are burned, the loved ones are gone, and the Bible doesn't really tell us why God allowed this. But we know that David wasn't living a life of faith in the enemy's territory, pretending to be one of them. By the way, uh, if you're a believer (laughs) and you go out and and, and you're you're out in this world pretending to belong to this world, uh, living a life of disobedience, God doesn't let you get away with it for long. And if you can be comfortable out there, I, I think there's a good chance you're not saved. But here was David living among them. 
Um, God doesn't allow his own to dwell in the land of disobedience uh, for long without chastening them. God had uh, given David time. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 27, 7, uh, that, that David had been there for one year and four months. God gave him plenty of time to come to his senses. And verse 4, that's that verse we were talking about. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. Can you imagine the, the discouragement? You, you, their imaginations are running wild. Oh, we, uh, our, our wife, at least the bodies aren't there. Hopefully, I, I don't know, can we dare hope? We don't know what direction they went. We don't know who has them. Now, we know from the scripture that the Amalekites had attacked, but at this point, I don't know how David would have known. All they know is the city is burned, and our wives and our children are gone. For all they knew, all was lost. After three days of travel, boy, you come home, and you find out your home is burned, your wives are, are gone, I can only begin to imagine the turmoil that would erupt in your soul. Are they okay? Will I ever see them again? And then David is going through his own anguish. But when you're in charge, boy, you share some of the anguish of everybody underneath you as well. That guy doesn't have his wife and children anymore. Oh, I have my own anguish, but I share his as well and his and his and his and all the extra turmoil. As if things weren't already bad enough, things got worse. In verse 6, and David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. <laughs> greatly distressed. Sounds like the understatement of the year. Doesn't it? First, King Saul wants to slay him. That's bad enough. Then his own beloved countrymen in Israel, many of them are siding with the king against him. Then he flees to Philistia, and Achish says, you can fight with us. And then the lords of the Philistines are like, we don't trust him, send him away. And, that's what, and so praise the Lord. Uh, I'm, uh, like, ah, so good that those, yeah, he can't fight with us. We don't trust him. Uh, he would have, how awkward would that have been to go with Philistia against Israel? And he's like, ah, oh, he's, he's living this double life and all the agony. And he, he comes back, even Philistia, the, 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 they send him back. And then now, on top of all those things, his men. I mean, uh, 1 Samuel 22, 2 talks about the, the, the men, the, 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 those that were in debt and dis distress and discouraged and despondent and every D you can think of that, <laughs> that's, that's negative. <laughs> that was the group of men that he had curated to himself and he had loved those men and turned them into something special. And now those men, they're so grieved in their soul that they're, they're talking about stoning him. Seemed like he had come to the end of his rope. And sometimes you feel like the only thing left to do is tie a noose. But you know what? There's a balm in Gilead. 
while we are breathing, there is always hope. Discouraged on the road to recovery. Now we're going to jump ahead to verse 18. What does it say at the beginning? And David recovered all. That the Amalekites had carried away. Let those three words sink in. And David recovered. And I know we're not talking about physical recovery. We're, t- we're saying that he recovered the items and the people. Oh, how precious those people. He recovered those things that were lost. But when you recover those things, oh, there is a physical recovery as well. Discouragement and the road to recovery. David recovered, and so can we. So what happened between these verses and verse 18 that caused him to go from being discouraged to recovering, discouragement, and the road to recovery. Let's look at that today, but before we do, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your goodness, and, and Lord, we, we thank you that we have a place that we can go. Forgive us, Lord, that we don't go there enough. Oh God, we... We too can take the path to recover. We don't have to live down here discouraged. Help us to learn from David. And really, David, I I believe a lot of why you allowed this great turmoil is because he had not been looking to you like he should have. Evidenced by the fact that he's even there in Philistia playing these games of this double life. And we know what the Bible says about living the double life where the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, and David had been living an unstable life, and and you wanted something better for them. I believe you allowed this so David could get back to the place where his eyes were where they belonged. You allowed discouragement in his life to force him to look to you, but you allowed there to be recovery as well. I ask, Lord, you just bless as we look at these things, and I ask them in Christ's precious name, amen. All right, so how did David recover from the distress and the discouragement. So we we see there in verse 6, and David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him. Now it's one thing if enemies are like, hey, let's take rocks and, and, and throw them at him until he's dead. But it's another thing if the people that you've poured yourself into, the people that you've poured yourself into and cared about and led and loved When they say, let's pick up rocks and throw them at him until he's dead. Ouch. The people were grieved for every man for his sons and his daughters. So here we go. What did did David do? But David encouraged himself in the Lord, his God. I think that's important, his God. It's not just that a God is up there. Is, that, is he your God? Do you know him as your Lord and Savior? Have you come to him? David was able to say in Psalm 23, the Lord, not just that he is a shepherd, but the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. David was able to go to him uh, to encourage himself in the Lord, his God. Uh, 
I love every morning, and I know I've told you this before, to get on my knees and say those words, Our Father, which art in heaven. And I just love to stop and remember that I have a Father, and He's my Father, because I got saved. Because I confessed that I was a sinner and my only hope was the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the shed blood that Brother Delhay prayed about. Thank you, oh God, for I, I don't deserve heaven. But I'm going there someday because Christ washed my sin away with his blood. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, I'm not an orphan. And sometimes we live like orphans down here, don't we? And believer, you're not an orphan. You have a father. And with those verses, I have, I have this written down on my prayer list, Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that he is God. Just quietly, with your eyes closed, and say, Lord, you are on the throne. And nothing will ever change that. The circumstances are screaming out that you aren't in charge, but the circumstances are wrong. You are in charge. All oh, the comfort that brings. And you can encourage yourself in the Lord. Verse 7. And David said to Abiathar, the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord. And David inquired at the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He inquired at the Lord. Oh God, you're in charge. You're in charge. And then he inquired, Lord, I've been kind of figuring out for myself what I should be doing, and I have royally messed things up. What do you want me to be doing? What do you want me to be doing? You're in charge. What do you want me to be doing? He inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail. By the way, so we jump to verse 18 that said that he recovered. But before he recovered, he had a promise that he would recover. God told him here, and without fail, recover all. God told him he would recover all. And so he could go forward armed with the promises of God. And so can you and I. We can go forward in this life armed with the promises of God. We have a book full of them. So step number one on the road to recovery is prayer. Prayer. He encouraged himself in the Lord. And then he inquired of the Lord, Oh God, you're in charge. You're in charge. What do you want me to be doing? I'm living my life like it's up to me to figure things out. Oh God, forgive me for living like an orphan. I'm not an orphan. I have you as my father. I have the Lord as my shepherd. Oh, that's encouraging. But if you're my shepherd, I need to let you do the leading. And I haven't been like I should. Pray. 
Look to the one who can help and to the one who wants to. Aren't you glad that God can help and he wants to? You don't have to talk him into caring about you. Oh, Lord, please care about me. Uh, the, the Supreme Court, it was uh, last year, we're, we're looking at uh, the, the 7,000 cases in front of them, and they can only pick 70 because they're human beings, and they only have so much attention that they, 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 that they can give to certain things. And so people are, please consider my case. I know you can't consider them all. Please uh, see the validity in my case. My God isn't like the Supreme Court. My God can consider, and he does consider every case valid. He's just waiting for you to go before him. Look to the one who can help and wants to. Did David mess up? Sure, I think so. He probably should have left some men behind to guard the women and children. Kind of seems like it. Hindsight is 2020 vision, right? He probably shouldn't have been in Philistia at all had David messed up. I, I think so. But this wasn't the time for what ifs. This was the time to say, oh God, have mercy. What should I do? What do you want me to do right now? We are greatly distressed. He encouraged himself in the Lord, didn't he? When he was up against distress, he looked to the Lord. Different than King Saul. Remember in, in 1 Samuel 28, when he was distressed, I don't know what to do. And, and he, he went to the witch of Endor. And things ended up very differently for him. Things ended up awfully. And you'd say, well, of course, I would, I would never. Oh, but where do we go instead of to God sometimes to look for answers? David went to the Lord, the only one who truly can help. I'm so glad that prayer isn't us talking God into caring for us. Prayer is when we finally recognize how much he already cares about us. You get the difference there? He inquired of the Lord, not, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. I, I pray that you'll bless it. It was, Lord, it seems like I should go after them, but I'm not going to unless you tell me. Shall I pursue? What do you want me to do? Boy, uh, I, again, I don't think David was seeking the Lord very much in those days. Or else I don't think he would have been in Philistia living this, this double life. Here was this huge problem that God was going to use to turn his attention upward. All the advantage. Again, he had the high priest there with, with the ephod. He had quite the advantage in prayer. And he wasn't making use of his advantage in prayer until he was at the bottom of the barrel. So he had the ephod, and of course the ephod had that Urim and the Thummim, by which in the Old Testament God would reveal some of his, his will to, to his people. Uh, he had, he had, the, he had the, the priest there, he had the ephod, all the advantages he had in prayer. But oh, how sad that he hadn't been making use of them. I suspect that you and I are guilty. How much praying... Did you do this last week?
he had access to the high priest and and you and I have access to the great high priest. Our advantage is even greater. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly because of our access to the great high priest, all the advantages we have in prayer. But are we making use of them? Let us therefore come boldly. How much entering before the throne of grace? Boldly and fervently, with urgency. Did you make this last week? And I'm preaching it myself as well. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Real prayer is hard work. You start to spend time in prayer, uh, you know, and on your knees, and oh God, I'm looking to you, and, 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 and the, 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 there's, there's voices from all over, you know, what are you doing? Get up, there's things to be done. What are you doing? Well, and quieting those voices. It's work. Boy, we would rather spend eight hours working than one hour on our knees. Can you hear the voice of Jesus to Peter? Matthew 26, 40 and 41. And he cometh unto disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But I have encouraging news. Work at it. Exercise that spiritual discipline of spending real time in prayer. The flesh is weak, but you can get stronger. And when those voices are crying out, there's things to be done. Yes, and that's why I'm here. The path to recovery includes real prayer. Getting a hold of God, but really, is prayer me getting a hold of God or is it when God finally has a hold of me? Now that God had David's attention, he could tell him what to do because God always knows what to do. Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to him? He always knows what to do. Prayer! That's number one on the road to recovery. All right, so once he got a hold of God in prayer, God told him to pursue. So number one is pray. Number two is pursue. Find out what God wants you to be doing and then run after that thing. Run with urgency with fervency. Run. Throw yourself into that thing that God wants you to be doing. What does God want you to be busy about? And then run after those things. 1 Samuel 30, verse 8. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, Pursue 
for thou shalt surely overtake them and without fail recover all. Oh, it's so good to find out what God wants and know that he promises that his blessing will be on that thing. I want you to pursue and you will recover all. My blessing is on obedience. Find out what I want and be busy about those things. Pour yourself into that. Throw yourself into that thing. Don't worry about everything else. Leave all the rest to God. Focus on the task at hand. Talking to CE class a little bit this week about excellence. And Alec and I went out and talked a little bit about excellence yesterday. And, and sometimes we think about this life of excellence, right? I, I have a goal to be excellent. I want to be living a life of excellence within five years. And some, I, I don't know if I'm going to wait. I, I want to be living a life of excellence in, in four years. My, my goal is in three years to be living a life of excellence. And, and those people have it all wrong. Excellence isn't something to go after in years. Excellence is to something to, to go after in minutes. Today. Right now. Life is made up of moments, and you're in one right now. This moment will spill into another and will spill into another, and this moment is the first moment of the rest of the moments of your life. What are you doing with it right now? In the next three minutes, the life of excellence begins right now because if you say, I'm going to live a life of non-excellence, but in three years, no, you're developing habits of non-excellence right now. Start now. That which God wants you to do pursue. Lord, what do you want me to do? Nothing else matters. That's the one thing I will throw my life at. What you want me to be busy about right now. And I'm not waiting to do well those things you want me to do. I'm going to start right now. Living that life of excellence Find out what God wants. What does the Bible say in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6? Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. But when God points out the path, get on it and walk that path. Isaiah 30, 21. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying this, is the way. Walk ye in it. All right, so the road to recovery involves prayer, involves pursuing, find out what God wants and run after that thing. When things go wrong, and they sometimes will, when the road you're trudging seems all uphill, when the funds are low and the debts are high and you want to smile but you have to sigh. When care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but just don't quit. Life is strange with its twists and turns as every one of us sometimes learns and many failures turn folks about when we might have won if we had just stuck it out. Don't give up. Though the pace seems slow, 
you may succeed with just one more blow. Success is failure turned inside out. The silver tint of the clouds of doubt. You can never tell how close you are. It may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when your hardest hit. It's when things seem worst that you must not quit. Pursue. And then... Along the way, you might find somebody that's hurting. Along the way, take some time to pour yourself into somebody with need. What happens next? First uh, Samuel 30, verses 9 through 19. So David went, he and the 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Bezor, where those that were left behind stayed. Uh, but David pursued he and 400 men. You're like, wait a second. <laughs> he just had 600 men. Uh, uh, when you're losing a third of your force, like, between, you know, a verse, that by, he just had 600 men, I has 400. Well, that explains. For 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Bezor. So one-third of his force stays back. They're like, we're so exhausted. We can't possibly keep going. So, so if those guys couldn't keep going, you could only imagine how tired the 400 were. Well, we're tired too, but we do have the strength to at least keep moving. So you have one-third of your group that stays behind, two-thirds of your group that are doubtless barely able to keep rolling. There you have it. Let's keep going. But they were armed with the promises of God. Do what I told you, and I'll bless it. Oh, that'll charge your batteries. Verse 11. And they found an Egyptian in the field. Now, this didn't seem to be part of the plan. God just said, go after him. And, 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 and you, might, you, might, you might see this Egyptian dying there. And, and you're like, no time for him. No time. I got to go after my, I got to recover my wife. I got I to recover my kids. No time for him. That's not part of the plan. But you know, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us that Jesus left an example for us to, to follow in his steps. And as we see the Lord Jesus in the New Testament, he found time to help. Here was an Egyptian they found in the field, and little did they know that this guy that seemed to be an interruption to the plans was going to be a key to the whole thing. He was going to be the key that was going to open the situation because they took time for this person, this poor, dying soul along the way. And again, you can see, like, uh, uh, David, we found this Egyptian. Leave him. We, we have more important things to attend to. Leave him. They didn't say that. Again, they... Uh, uh, the Ziklag had been burned. I don't know how much food they had, how much water they had, but they took time that they didn't seem like they had. They took provision that they didn't seem like they had, and they stopped, and they helped a dying man. And it turned out to open the whole situation. They found an Egyptian in the field. Oh, I, I, I'm afraid to... I'm afraid to care about people outside of my home. 
My, my priority is my wife and kids. God wants you to care for people outside of your home sometimes. Jump into those ministries. It's not my family or this person. It's as I'm, as I'm trying to work with my home and, 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 and rescue and salvage and, and pray down God's blessing on my home. There are people along the way that I can pour myself into and it's connected to the saving of my home. It's not one or the other that as I protect and lead and guide my home, there are people along the way that I am going to pour myself into, that we are going to pour ourselves into, and it's a connection between helping them and saving my home. And brought him to David. No time that didn't, David didn't say that. They brought the Egyptian to David. And again, David doesn't know who this guy is. They're just out. And there's this guy dying in the desert, in the wilderness, in this field. They gave him bread. And he did eat. And they made him drink water. They gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit again came to him. For he eaten no bread, drunk, nor drunk any water three days and three nights. He was so close to death. But they took the time to help him. And David said unto him, To whom belongest thou? And whence art thou? And he said, I am a, a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me. Because three days agone I felt sick. We made an invasion upon the south of the Carathites and upon the coast which belongeth to Judah. Uh, you guys were attacking Judah? That's not good. And upon the south of Caleb. And then here it is. And we burned Ziklag with fire. We burned. Can you see the men of David? <laughs> Ziklag, you say? We burned Ziklag. You see, I wonder if he noticed, oh, that seems to have been the wrong thing to say. So this random guy, we, we found him, leave him, there's no, no, no. They stopped and they took time to help this poor soul. This random guy, they showed kindness to as the key to the whole thing. Now, David knows what happened. He just doesn't know where to find the Amalekites. Now he knows what happened to Ziklag, all because he stopped and helped somebody. Now he knows what happened, but not where to find them. And David said to him, Canst thou bring me down to this company? And he said, he's probably like, Oh, I should probably get some assurances that I'll be alive once I do. And he, the Egyptian, said, Swear unto me by God that thou wilt neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will bring thee down to this company. And when he had brought him down, behold, they, the Amalekites, were spread abroad upon all the earth, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken out of the land of the Philistines and out of the land of Judah. And David smote them, listen to this, from the twilight even unto the evening 
of the next day. And there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men, which rode on camels. That's a long time of smiting them. And the people that escaped were as many as David had. David fell on them with 400. And he smote them from, from the evening until the, the evening of the next day. And their escape for the size of David's force escaped after he had this great slaughter for this. Wow, when God gives victory, God gives victory. Verse 18, just like God said, and David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away and David rescued his two wives and there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons. Can you see the dads embracing their wives and the dads holding those those sons in their arms again that they, they thought, well, I may never see them again. Nor daughters, every one of them was alive. Neither spoiled nor anything that had been taken unto them. David recovered all. This Egyptian, this poor soul used and abused by the enemy. You know anyone like that in this world around us? A poor, lost, dying soul used and abused by the enemy, enslaved by the enemy and then cast aside like a sack of garbage when he was of no more use. David came upon him and showed mercy and kindness and he literally carried some guilt, didn't he? This young Egyptian said, we burned Ziklag. But still there was mercy and kindness because there was a day when I was guilty and God forgave me of my guilt. David was a picture of the Lord here. Mercy and kindness. It turned the whole situation around. So what did we learn today? Discouraging times come, don't they? Distressing times come. Life hurts. And the truth is, the Bible says, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Every day comes with trouble. But you know, the Bible also tells us in Lamentations 3 that his mercies are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. The Bible tells us in Psalms that he daily loads us with benefits. Quit, quit saying, Lord, why all the trouble? Saying, Lord, I know there's going to be trouble. The Bible tells me so. But you're so faithful that every morning I can scoop up mercies from heaven. And daily you load me with benefits. I'm going to be looking for and trusting in those mercies day by day by day. Thank you for your faithfulness. And the road to recovery involves prayer, don't wait till you're at the bottom of the barrel, but every day be still and know that he is God. Smile, because your heavenly father is on the throne. And if you're not saved, make him your heavenly father. Make him your heavenly father by getting saved, trusting Christ as your savior. Today, come at the invitation and say, I need to get saved. I need to make him my heavenly father. 
But if you know him as your Savior, encourage yourself in the Lord. Inquire, Lord, what do you want me to be doing? And then pursue those things. Run after those things. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Pursue. Find out what's important to him. Live that life of excellence. Not in two, three, four, five years, but in the next three minutes. Right now, the moment I'm in, Lord, what you want me to do well, I will do well for the rest of my life. Help me. Pray and pursue. And then along the way, Don't miss the poor soul who you can help. Pour yourself into some needy soul today. That's the path of recovery for David. And if we follow that formula, we can overcome discouragement and all those things as well. Let's pray.